What would you do if everyone said they heard your trailer a hundred times? You'd probably make a new one. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, The Ringer's first ever true crime pod. We've been hunting a con man for a few weeks now, and our hunt is coming to an end. Schemes, heartbreak, how to put on a wire. We've covered all this and more, but there are still a few surprises left. Binge The Wedding Scammer wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me in the studio, he's 50% off on Cyber Monday. It's Andy Greenwald! Are we doing a half-off show? I mean, you know what would actually do straight-up numbers what? and also would delight Kaya, I bet, is if we just did Gift Guide right now. Just did Holiday Gift Guide for 30 just, minutes? Just like CR and Andy just being like, what's a coffee maker you should get, you know? Do you think, wait, Kaya, would that delight you what would your feeling be about that i mean i love shopping and, and i love likes, i like knowing what people buy you know i also think that the the listeners should really know the face you made when i said you know what now there's too much tv again <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk about too much tv andy today we're going to do uh the first two episodes of fargo season five which came back uh last week i believe or yeah. in the in the absence of CR and Andy, because we were we were enjoying our Thanksgivings, as I hope everybody else did. I hope everybody had a restorative mm-hmm. and um, loving holiday. I, I, I certainly hope that for you. Yeah, I went 2-0. Oh. Uh, restorative and loving. Defeated the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> and the Buffalo Bills in commanding fashion. <laughs> That's my favorite TV show. <laughs> There's frankly too much of it. You are a, a maniac, honestly. Yes. It's really funny now. Yes. You are just eagle-pilled so hard. Yes. <laughs> my the, the thing that gives me more pleasure in my life, much more than turkey and cranberry sauce, much more than my family, is watching clips of Eagles victories with the Spanish announcers. Yes, that's what gives you <laughs> joy. But That's you, how I feel alive. I, I honestly do one day want to read your text during a game. Like read them out loud to people? Yeah, where you're like, I must find a new way to live my life. Yeah. I can't have all this tied up in this. This is terrible. I feel ill. I'm I do write. I feel no. What was what was worrisome to me last Monday was when I clearly stated that the Eagles did not de- quote deserve to win, and they did, they won anyway. Yeah. I felt very uh, not considered. Yeah, I was not seen by that. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I don't have the kind of like you know, off-ramp that other people do, like like you investing heavily in fantasy football against with the, you know, the opponent allows you to sort of like even out. 
That's not what happened. You know what I mean? Okay, it's just yeah. it's kind of like it's kind of like Safty on the curse. Like he drinks, but then he then he like uh, has coffee also, and then yeah. pees a lot. Yeah, that's like you with the Eagles. Well, what we need to get you is your own little like uh, breathalyzer. I am, not- <laughs> and when you blow into it during an Eagles game and you're having a nervous breakdown, it lets you know <laughs> <laughs> because I'm unable to create the breath. Necessary to even register on. Also, it. that was slick that you just dropped. By by the way, I'm still watching the curse. You're you're you're, you're back. It. Yeah, you're back. Fargo's back. Um, should we do a little bit? I just want to do a mm-hmm. little bit. Of, I I love doing a little recap of yeah. Thanksgiving experiences from you. Yeah, culture from me. Well, because I okay. feel like that you're never more open to <laughs> the true currents of the world when you when you're traveling. You know, whether okay. it's like you're out, you're seeing shows. Your, yeah. your Broadway shows, you're your watching films on the plane. Thank you for clarifying. I was not watching television shows. I am really like Thomas Friedman from the New York Times in that like I can write my columns from my ivory tower here on the coast. But when I'm at my best is when I'm just taking taxis in Tehran. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. Just talking to the people, boots on the ground, seeing the way life is really The hysterical lived. thing is like you just swap coasts. It's not like you're Oh, for it. a million percent. Yeah. Sometimes I watch a movie while flying between the coasts. <laughs> You look out the window, you go, hello. Just, just over Kansas. I, I, I'll say a couple things, um, a, a couple things about traveling with, with children in the year 2023. Oh, yeah, for sure. One is, I do want our listeners to know that I do consider them, and I think about my responsibilities to this podcast, to them, to you, to Kaya, um, to Daniel Eck, and all the great people over in Sweden. I did load my iPad with a number of buzzed about television programs, including some that I'm still hoping to get to that I missed earlier in the year. This is such a foolish thing to spend my time doing because despite the large selection of entertainment on a Delta, uh, the, 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 the Delta cross-country experience, I did not see my iPad from the minute I hit finished downloading all 10 episodes of Beef. I never saw it again until I got home. <laughs> <laughs> my children checked to make sure that all three seasons of the powerhouse Disney cartoon Owl House was downloaded on yeah. both devices, and then that was a wrap. So, have a you rap. thought about have you thought about adding another screen to your traveling experience, your retinue, so that you could you could maybe enjoy some some visual entertainment too? I, I have I've put in a written request to Bill to see if like just for the sake of the podcast that if you know if I could just be great. Oh, I thought another. maybe it was like you wrote a letter to Santa. Same thing, I guess. Literally same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally same thing. I do think I need to add a third screen to the mix. Yeah. I do. It's not it's not fair to anyone, let alone myself. <laughs> but I did I did see a really good movie that you've seen. Uh-huh. That I we've probably missed the window to talk about. Is it streaming somewhere? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I mean for other people. <laughs> let me see. Go ahead. You keep talking. I really Kaya, did you see Past Lives? It's available. I haven't yet. It's available it's on, on streaming services. It's, it's not a, available for free on a streaming service. It's pretty close Thus to a masterpiece. The, the, the great promise of the streaming revolution is that I have to pay. Guys, you guys should all go see this movie. Maybe mm-hmm. you already have. Chris, you saw it months ago. Uh, I saw it when it came out, yeah, in the theater. It is, it is a beautiful movie. It's really amazing. And I have to say, mm-hmm. I found it particularly moving. This is relevant to the conversations we have because I thought it was such an incredible antidote to what mainstream entertainment is doing these days. Not because it's like a, a slow romantic indie movie, but because... With it, it was such a antidote to multiversal storytelling. Sure. So, for people who don't know about this movie, it's it is a very thoughtful, very beautiful, sort of sad romance, right? About a woman, a young girl, and a friend in Korea at the beginning of the movie, and she and her family immigrate to Canada. They reconnect twelve years later over Facebook and Skype, 
and then they reconnect again some more some years in the future when their lives have gone in different directions. Yeah. And it is an entire movie about how guess what gang we only get the 616 universe. <laughs> there is no Doctor Strange. And I love that. Yeah. I just loved I loved it on its own. It doesn't need the writer director Celine Song it's the first thing she's ever made in this movie. The first thing she's ever directed. I think she's going to have an incredible career Greta Lee. Greta Lee is incredible. Fantastic in it. In yeah. it. But I do think it's really an important movie to think about in terms of just like what we've been doing with our entertainment where everything, not just Marvel movies, the Oscar winner from last year, every movie seems to be like, aha, but what if there was another way? What if we could have different choices and always fix things? You can't. And sometimes that's the... And that's, you... I, and you're you're right in pointing out that this is a film. I mean, I think it's like it's not. There's never like a suggestion that there's multiversal like mm-hmm. there's no no potential it's not. to it. It's it is it is like a really just human drama about the decisions you make and the decisions that get made for you over the course of your and life. And like it's just it's sweet. It's thought provoking. Yeah. it's sad. And it's like it's about beautiful. whether or not there's truly one person out there for you, or whether or not. Yeah, I, I just I you know it's it's, it's an, an it's an extraordinary movie. It's probably one of the most overwhelming, subtly overwhelming endings to a film yeah. that I've seen in, in a really long time. I was reading, and I, this does not spoil the movie at all, but but it does end in New York's East Village. Let's mm-hmm. I'll put it that. And um, there's a long tracking shot, which also doesn't spoil anything, I hope. I was reading that they decided to, they whoever was the production, I'm sorry, the line producer for the movie, and I'm sure they had limited time, limited money, whatever, although it is an A24 release. Um, they put that on the schedule to film one uninterrupted take on a Friday night in the East Village of New York. <laughs> I, I feel like that's that's a higher degree of difficulty than you need it. Well, you know night shoots now. Because Briar Patch, there's nothing like AG being like, it's 8 p.m., time to go to work. Time to take a nap. <laughs> yeah. I was really good about that. Um, so you, and I wanted to ask, you saw yeah. Merrily. This is so great, by the way. This is just like finally. Finally, we can talk. This podcast is now, I've talked about the Eagles. Uh-huh. I've talked about an indie movie I saw on an airplane. And yep. now I'm talking about a Sondheim musical on Broadway. Well, that's a big deal, man. This is the last episode of The Watch, but I've loved every minute Danny of Rads it. Danny Rads and, and friend of The Watch, Jonathan Groff are in that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I don't know how many people have access to Broadway during a limited run, but this is, I saw Merrily We Roll Along starring, um, well, this is how it was pitched to my daughter, who is, who is, increasingly a big Broadway fan, which uh-huh. is awesome. It's fun to go with her to things, my older daughter. but And she likes Sondheim musicals. But the pitch was, this is Harry Potter and Kristoff from Frozen mm-hmm. live on stage. And how how fast did she say confirm on that when you when you told her those were the two? What was amazing about it was more the incredulity that like, <laughs> that, that like Harry Potter would A, be there and uh-huh. be singing. Like this was very hard to comprehend. He was fantastic. And this was really cool for people who don't know this musical. Um, this is a legendary flop. It was it bombed so badly when it debuted in the early '80s that Stephen Sondheim legendarily said that he was considered quitting musical theater and instead dedicating the back half of his life to his other passion, which in the early '80s was video games. That's really funny. He was going to become a designer for like mystery games on the Atari, um, and it's unique because it's about three friends who come to New York City with dreams of becoming artists who are song, a songwriting team and, and a woman who's a, a writer. The mo- but the musical's told backwards. Mm-hmm. It's told in reverse. So it begins with them in their 40s, kind of like, you know, a bunch of jaded podcasters, essentially. That's right. And then it goes back to those halcyon days in the East Village <laughs> on Friday nights when they were not shooting touching Korean American dramas. And uh, people have been trying to crack this for years because the songs are really good. And then this production with these actors 
seems to have finally like landed the plane in the sense that that, that Are it's got doing- rave reviews. Is that the one that Linklater was going to do over the course of like decades? That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. So Linklater has been making this movie in the style, like in the same way that he made Boyhood, right. where he was going to do the movie with actors aging. So they filmed, theoretically, they're, they're filming it in reverse. They're okay. filming the last scenes recently and then waiting five, six years because the, the show goes from the 50s to the late 70s. Um, so it's like a, almost a 25-year span. And so theoretically, he's doing it. Um, anyway, Groff is you know, friend of the pod. He's great. A genius. And I got to say, he, this is a, this is the most niche thing I've ever said on this podcast, but it's a little mind hunter in his performance because he's such a sweet guy. Like we've talked to him. He's been on the podcast. He's wonderful in Frozen and Hamilton. But this show, especially at the beginning when he's old and jaded, he's a little bit of a grizzled, yeah. still-faced monster kind of. I it's great. watched so many like behind the scenes David Fincher things for the pods that we did on The Killer over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So I was like really in my bag with that. And my favorite thing is like there are so many like, you know, Ruffalo and Gyllenhaal and these guys who are just completely traumatized, like jokingly, but maybe somewhat really about working with Fincher and doing 89 takes of stuff. And then Groff's like, I love it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's got such a great attitude about it. He's such such a good performer. He and Affleck seem to have the most sort of just like kind of like, I love the pain. Let's do it. Like, do, do you have any Daniel Radcliffe opinions? Have you ever interacted with I have him not artistically? Done, I, 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 I like have zero. And that's not, nothing against him. No, I've no. honestly like had such little interaction with the Harry Potter franchise. I, I was once like you, brother. And then haven't really seen any of the stuff that he's done. I didn't see that show that was on TBS for it a It ran for like four seasons. Yeah. It only just got canceled. Yeah, yeah. He was wonderful. And he, you know what was also nice? He seemed to, he was just seemed thrilled. Yeah. He just had a really positive, really fun, I love to it's act It's kind of awesome when you see a big time like screen actor doing Broadway and they pull it off and like when at the end everybody's mm-hmm. clapping they're just like this is fucking intense and awesome like and because like they have they must have such mm-hmm. like a strange relationship to their to like the feedback that they get from their and that is a pure version of like mm-hmm. appreciation for what they do whereas like you know it's different than going to like a Hogwarts convention and being like hey. yes and I think that I know no one's crying no for actors like Daniel Radcliffe who were rich before they were 15 because of these movies and are famous forever but to sort of run the gauntlet of that kind of childhood fame and then reach this point, I mean, no one has ever feel settled in their lives, but to be like, oh, I get to be an actor for real. Yeah. I get to keep doing this if you love doing it. And, uh, you know, you're a big, I know you, you, you like the holiday spirit. There was this nice moment at the end where you, you've been to the theater at this time of year. They do Broadway Cares. The, sure. the cast comes out and they, they speak from the heart about raising money for uh, AIDS-related charities, the community, et cetera, et cetera. They, there's this moment in the show where uh, uh, Radcliffe is typing on a typewriter and then leaves the scene and Groff comes over in character and like types on the typewriter. It's like a little bit of a joke mm-hmm. while the song's going on. Apparently every night, uh, every performance, he types something to make Radcliffe laugh. Oh, like, really? For real. And so they had the piece of paper and he's like, we'll auction this off. We'll sign it. We'll get the cast to sign it, whatever you want. So Radcliffe, with a, for the first time in his English accent, did like a very spirited, like au- ran an auction in the theater. It was no a, way. It's really fun. It was like, do I hear 200? Do I hear 400? Oh my goodness. And he was all very excited was running around. freaking out? Yes. <laughs> And then this this one woman bid bid like twelve hundred dollars or something. Was your daughter like you should you should bid? More. I was getting nudged. <laughs> I was getting nudged. Um, and uh, and so everyone's like, oh hooray! This woman's going to get it. She seemed excited. I did couldn't see her face from where she was. And then someone like two rows behind her was just like fifteen hundred. Like brought the hammer. Oh yeah. And they're like going once, going twice. Sold fifteen hundred dollars to this kind gentleman. What 
who should we sign it for? Should we sign it for you, sir? And he went, no, sign it for her. And he pointed to the woman in front of him and he, he gave it to it. her. That's cool. Was it George Clooney? It was George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was George Santos, actually. So I don't know. I hope they get that in cash. <laughs> Good but joke. New York's back, baby. Where you go, man? New York's back. Uh, I, if you can hear in my voice, I did not get to see any Broadway plays because I was in Portland, Oregon, but uh, you may hear in my voice a little bit of a scratchiness. Is that, is that uh, the, the Bill Simmons virus? No, it's not. It was more because uh, we had gone up there. I had a lovely time. I was hanging out with uh, friends and, and their teenage daughters who were big horror fans. So mm-hmm. while you were watching Past Lives, I was watching Ganjam Haunted Asylum, <laughs> uh, which is about a haunted asylum. Yeah. There was also supposed to be a karaoke element of this weekend, mm. but usually we go out to do that at a karaoke bar. It's quite fun. Yeah. They hooked up at the house, though, a situation where, um, I don't know if you knew this, but you can basically say like any song into YouTube and karaoke, and it comes up with like Archers of Loaf web in front karaoke. No way. And so... This is that, amazing. That's somewhat addictive if yes. you find out that every song you've ever liked is actually available as yeah. a karaoke version. So maybe a little too much karaoke this week for me, um, but a lot of fun. And uh, I had the best meal of my year this year. Where was that? Uh, it was at Arden, yeah. uh, which is uh, Sarah from Top Chef Portland's place in in Portland. And, you know, just absolutely wonderful meal. And they did a nice little uh, digestif at the end with Braulio Amaro mm-hmm. and a little orange twist. It was shaken with some ices. One nice thing we should Knock say, out. tell our listeners, like we really feel, we're, we're really grateful that our listenership is well represented in the um, hospitality industry. Yeah, that's right. I had a nice experience. at When Apple, I look at the demographic yeah. feedback uh, on Spotify, it's like a lot of like... A lot of managers of restaurants. <laughs> yes, our, 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 our server at the, the, the phenomenal Pizzeria Bedia this weekend. Yeah. A big fan. Shout out to Kelly. That was lovely. Yeah. Um, can I, before we pivot, I have one other question for you because you were hanging out and you've been doing this a lot. Like you're, you're close friends, a bunch of kids now in teenage years yeah. and everybody loves Uncle Chris. That's sure. true whether they're small kids or, or teens. I was with my, my wonderful cousins and their kids. Are they also fans of me? They're mixed. It's right down the middle. Yeah. Um, they prefer Sean. Well, some of them are like the Wayne Jenkins thing. We get it. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's find a new slant. Yeah. So I arrived at Thanksgiving and the, 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 the teens, the teen cousins had done the seating chart. Mm. And guess where they put your boy? At the kids table. No, at the teen table. Oh, so First you feel all, like you were, you were jumped into the outsiders. What I want to say is it's the, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to uh-huh. me. I do not look past this. I have. I don't think I've been this stressed about. Did you my, start talking like Timothy Chalamet's white rapper character? I was like, "Hey guys, Riz, am I right? Yeah. What's up with What's Riz? What's up with the ops in my DMs? I, I was flop sweating so it was. It was. I don't think I've felt this fluttery since we, since you and I hosted the Atlanta for your consideration panel <laughs> with the entire cast of Atlanta and us. Um, yeah, a lot of. Luckily, like I could keep steering things back to a safe place, which was um, Jack Harlow's New Balance commercials. <laughs> not because I'm a fan, but because <laughs> both I I felt this way, and the teens were like, "That's not a real person or a real thing." Oh, that's cool. And I was like, "Oh, it's like that woman." Did you say it in the voice of your father, which is like this monstrosity this is, this is of absurd? No, he was in the other room <laughs> saying the same thing, probably. About Jack Harlow, he, he uh, James Harlow. When yeah. I knew him, um, no, I I was like I suggested, and this is a real like white knuckle moment I was like yeah it's like the woman who's on the plane who was like that's not a real person yeah and I was like these kids look at 
viral videos anymore? I don't know. And they were like, yes, we, we get that reference. I was pleasantly surprised to find that there were no, nobody was having a drug-induced hallucination on my flights. That's always a plus. Yeah. I mean, that's, now it actually is one of those things that you're like, mm-hmm. well, at least that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was happy that on, on my flight, I saw that many people could choose from uh, Ringer podcasts, like rewatchables. That was good. <laughs> it's good that that's the podcast you can, you can check out on, um, on Delta Entertainment. Oh, and the hottest take. So the hottest take's a fun flame pod. Yeah, Gets no, you thinking. it's good. Also, it's like a legacy pod. Like it's not currently a pod, right? But like you can always check in with it. It's great. <laughs> Take a nice big sip of that free Lacroix. Mm. Okay, mm. and now we will. Uh, I wanted to ask you about one mm-hmm. little piece of news, as we still seem to be in a y'all good moment with the with SAG um, in terms of ratifying this deal. Yeah, well, you're more finger on the pulse. Do you feel like this is not going to go? Uh, I have no idea. I, I actually, like, you guys should listen to uh, Matt Bellany, The Town. He had Justin Bateman on the show. Mm-hmm. Like, he's been doing more work on, like, what the what is in the deal and what maybe some of the holdups are because I believe last night in Matt's uh, What I'm Hearing column newsletter, they just for Puck, that I recommend everybody sign up for, he was like, he kind of laid out what happens if they don't ratify this yeah. and how it goes basically back it, to the old agreement. It reverts. Yeah. And I just would say from like looking at Instagram, mm-hmm. it seems like there's still like a lot of people out there who are like, I'm not down with this. Like, I'm not down with this agreement that we've we've arrived at. But we'll see. I mean, Bellany seems to think it's going to go through. Um, but it was like, so anyway, the, my point more was that like, we, I, th- I still feel like because of that, in the holidays, there wasn't a ton of news. It would be shocking if it didn't go through. It's I think just it would worth, be it would, well. It's worth saying that because the entire industry is staggering forward. Like, it's there's happening. there's nothing that has happened in the last two weeks that suggests anyone is just like, let's just see how this turns out. Yeah. Everyone's assuming it's done. But I wanted to ask you and to, and bring up the, uh, I, I don't know if it's promotion or new role for Dave Filoni at uh, Lucasfilm, where he is now kind of like, the chief creative officer, essentially. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't have like the actual title in front of me, but Filoni, who obviously uh, uh, came up through basically learning at the feet of of the original Jedi Master George Lucas, and then cut his teeth making hours and hours and hours of animated shows, Rebels and Clone Wars, and then moved into more live action stuff with The Mandalorian, with John Favreau, and then on his own with Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Um, has now been made... It's chief creative officer. Chief creative officer of Lucasfilm, which essentially puts him, not to put words in Bob Iger's mouth, but in a little bit of a Feige role at Lucasfilm. There's two different direct directions we can go with this conversation. One is kind of speculative, which mm-hmm. is like, does this signal a change necessarily, or does it signal more of the same? Because Filoni had already been signed up to do a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that some of the films that have been announced or been t- talked about feel very of his interest set like more Filoni than Tony Gilroy kind of stuff well I would also say that 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 you know it's been a tumultuous time for announced projects and all of the great IP spaces yeah I would say that the remaining announced projects on that company slate have Filoni fingerprints on them. yeah so skeleton crew that's a TV show that's coming the out Jude law show and then uh acolyte and then Andor season two and then you know, they still don't really have a movie that's shooting. Like, they have the Daisy Ridley movie. They have a couple of different things in development or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, it does seem like their their overarching goal is to connect Jedi to Force Awakens and then go from 
Skywalker on, like go from the the final yes. film we saw and move forward into the future. So th- that's happening. Yep. Um, I think I, I'm pretty much on the record with like, I find the Filoni style stuff in, in Lucas, like the Star mm-hmm. Wars stuff that he is chiefly responsible for live, live action, specifically Ahsoka, to some extent, Obi-Wan, like incredibly flat. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether that's, a director's choice that's just the material that they happen to be doing i just don't feel like it has a lot of like um warm blood pumping through it for my tastes uh but we'll we'll see i mean like i it it, it i i think that the silver lining here is that maybe this is something that like they thought they could do like everybody gets a shot at the sandbox like everybody can just come yes. play and figure it out and like that obviously hasn't worked yeah i think let's start with well, two things to say one um this is just a title change. And so there's nothing to point to. There's no evidence of what this means. This is all speculation and just, you know, uh, armchair critiquing. On the positive side of the ledger, I'll say to your last point, and this was drilled into me um, in my time there as well, that like, unlike a lot of these other large interconnected universes, Star Wars is a history. There is no, at least to date, or in, in certainly in terms of their development as well, there is no alternative universe there is no alternate whatever it is one story and everything has to be canonical doing that Mm -hmm. may fly by night may the best take win let's take flyers on big filmmakers method that is that is adding a degree of chaos and unpredictability that is clearly unsustainable that a universe like this does need some sort of grand sachem like stroking his beard or doffing his cap and considering all the implications of everything that's being done at all times in all times. Right. Meaning, you know, whether it's in the quote unquote past or in the soon to be determined future. That makes sense. So having someone in this job makes sense. Having the person who bridges those eras and has, and, and again, to his credit, we did not experience this, but our friends, many friends of ours, even, you know, the Ringerverse have as well, did made people happy about Star Wars during a time when people were not happy about Star Wars. So this, all of that makes sense. Um, From a creative perspective, it is much harder to say what this means. Sure. You could say that the existence of Andor and from what we understand in advance about the Acolyte, that these are riskier creative decision makings that he was also in the company for, which doesn't mean he was against them. It doesn't mean he was for them, but we can assume that he's supportive of them, um, which could mean predict the right people could still make interesting Star Wars content. It doesn't mean that this is that era is, is suddenly, um, is suddenly over. Uh, the, the other argument that I've heard is that for all of his involvement in all of Star Wars for all of these years, Ahsoka really was his first. Sure live-action baby. Yeah. That was his thing. It wasn't him and Favreau. It wasn't uh, him and Robert Rodriguez. Uh, this That was his thing. And um, again, from things that I've heard, that he's a, a, a good creative collaborator. And, you know, it, we're not in the locker room. Yeah. And sometimes as sports fans, you hear like, well, that person has room to grow versus this other person. So we're betting on that future. That's all great. So I'm not going to come in and blast this decision for any, for any reason because there isn't any reason to do it yet. There's just that little bit of twinge yeah. of sadness and fear, which is to say that the, the what seems to motivate him is not what interests me in Star Wars. So, and we'll see. One of the reasons why I like talking about this stuff so much, even if we have a kind of so-so relationship with the actual product at this point, is a Andor to me is like one of the triumphs of the last like ten years, and B, I think it's kind of fascinating to kind of look at the long arc of 
culture and different generations relationship to Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I uh, grew up a Star Wars fanatic. Didn't particularly care for the prequels. Moved on with my life. Then the streaming wars kind of brought in this gold rush of, well, first you had the the, the sequels, which were of varying levels <laughs> of like satisfaction, but I thought had a lot to like and a lot to dislike. And then the streaming wars bring in this gold rush where you're like, we're going to have Star Wars, constant Star Wars movies, constant Star Wars shows, and we're going to get a bunch of different voices in here. And I thought that that was fascinating. If you're going to have to, everybody has to go do something that seems to have some sort of pre-existing intellectual property uh, hanging over it. I was very curious about how they were going to make that work and all the different little corners of the galaxy that they could find. But what's been really fascinating is as I get older, how apparent it is that all these different people have different relationships to what we think of as Star Wars. And now we're actually at a point where the animated projects hold this like incredible canonical mm -hmm. and storytelling power over a, a whole group of people, a whole group of fans. So it's just been, it's, it's almost like it's not, it, the, the, the idea of possession is really fascinating when it comes to Star Wars. So it'll be interesting to see to what extent what Filoni does is in service of this grand history that he's been telling that takes place in this galaxy. Yeah. And to what extent like that winds up being like satisfying storytelling. Also what we can't, I think that's a great point. And I also think we can't, it's really hard to read the tea leaves on this. Um, I've, I've seen things saying like, this is a master stroke by Kathy Kennedy because she's been embattled for her decision-making, but by putting Dave Filoni front and center, it's focusing, it, it, it gives the impression that she is serious about focusing the creative output of this beloved brand and putting it in the hands of someone who has earned the trust of the fans who she, whom she has so often riled. There's also the alter, the alternative theory, which is this is a sign that she's on her way out yeah. or on her last down to her last strike because Bob Iger is very clearly lifting up someone who could run the division. Sure. Now, I don't I don't think that's the, the version of it that's true because the thing that you hear time and time again about Kathy is that she has the connections with quote unquote the town mm -hmm. and can get any filmmaker to answer her call and can bring in talent and set up things all over the world to a degree that someone who has been literally laboring in the, the, the trenches of Mandalore for decades might not be able to do yet. I think that there's also just the, the maybe the Occam's razor version of it is that one of the things Bob Iger needs to do in this bumpy return to, to power is normalize things and calm things down and create revenue streams that are reliable, which is perpetually the impossible thing to do in a creative industry. But saying like, you know what, instead of doing this giant thing and this giant thing and a bunch of these small things, this arm of the Disney company is going to create this reliable product it's a widget. twice a year. Yeah. And we know what it is. The ceiling is lower, but the floor is higher. Yeah, maybe the costs are lower too. Possibly. I mean, part of the thing that you see when you watch Ahsoka is like the amount that they're obviously using the volume and like the, the a lot of the effects and a lot of like the world creation is being done virtually. Now, I know that that also comes with its own cost, but mm -hmm. it's not the same as like renting out half of Tunisia to shoot, you know? So it's... It's it, it'll be fascinating to see whether the budgets on these things come down. Disney has had like a really rough couple of weeks, months. Mm -hmm. Wish kind of didn't do very well. Like they're they're did, not did like, not go over well with the Greenwald girls. Oh, Wish wow. Mm -hmm. Well, we could save that for another. You know, maybe we'll get maybe we'll do the first twenty minutes next week on that. Um, why don't we take a quick break and I want to come back and talk about another Disney project, which is Fargo. It's bizarre that it is, but it is. 
This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Okay, man. Fargo is back. And Fargo is back. If you catch my drift. What, I, what I'm saying is that after what was, you know, a pretty much well-acknowledged masterpiece of a second season, I think that your mileage may vary on seasons three and four of this anthology show from Noah Hawley. It is set loosely in the middle of the country, although usually around Minnesota or North Dakota, but there was a Kansas City season. Um, I think that I personally have such a weird allergy to watching an actor play twins that season three, which was the Ewan McGregor season, was yeah. kind of a a a non-starter for me, if not a difficult watch. And then I got like a couple episodes in and just sort of lost interest. The fourth season, which is the Chris Rock, Kansas City Mob uh, season, was, I think, a big swing, but kind of ponderously paced and performed for my taste, although I really like Jason Schwartzman in that mm -hmm. uh, season. First two episodes of Fargo season five are up on FX on Hulu, and I thought it was kind of a banger. I thought that what I want to ask you, first of all, mm -hmm. is, is it a banger because Noah got back in the Coen brothers bag, or is it a banger just because he hit the right sort of vein for this particular story? I think it's a little bit of both, and I completely agree with you. I'll be also full disclosure, I was skeptical of returning to this universe, mm -hmm. um, both because I, I agree with you. I thought season four was a well-intentioned misfire for the most part. Um, and it's been a while since this show or this project has completely um, entranced me. I mean, yeah. season seasons one and two are phenomenal, phenomenal elite tier television. Nothing changes that. Um, I so I, I I just I wasn't sure about how long it's been since this has really hit. I wasn't sure about Noah's commitment to the bit, frankly, also because he has a, uh, he's making the Alien show for FX, which is taking up a lot of time. And furthermore, like the I, I was a little leery when I saw the logline that it is directly talking about our moment. It is in 2019, which is the most the most the most contemporary of any of the five seasons in terms of the year that they've been set. And um, so I was very, very skeptical, and I was very, very wrong. These two episodes 
are fantastic. Yeah. They are really fantastic. And not just fantastic in a um, objectively like, uh, uh, you know, it, it's well-made or it's well-paced. There was the, the opening 10 minutes of the first one flooded me with relief. Not because Fargo was back, but because there was a really good show on television yeah. again. There was a confidence and uh, specificity in the filmmaking, in the casting, in the tone, and in the larger, and as the episode went on with these great action set pieces where I was like, this is the first time in a couple weeks, if not months, that I've sat here with you and been like, oh, here we go. Which isn't to say like, you know, we love the gold and I'm not diminishing other shows we've liked over the last few months, but in the spirit of the shows that got us going on this podcast of like, boy, this is a a, a nice juicy steak to cut into week after week. Like, we're back. Yeah, so this is basically, I would describe it loosely as a Western noir. Uh, The the setup is classic noir where it's like, uh, it's set in 2018 and it serves Juno Temple as a woman named Dorothy Lyon who's a a housewife who's married into like a powerful Minnesota political family, the Lyons, but Dot has... You know, a secret past that's coming for her in the shape of her ex-husband, Sheriff Roy Tillman, who is played gloriously by John Hamm. Uh, And he is a Roy Bean-like lawman in North Dakota who kind of seems to just have a very uh, 19th century view of of American law enforcement. That the the person who's the sheriff just kind of not only is enforcing the laws, but enforcing Mm -hmm. the Constitution, is enforcing biblical law, is enforcing his own sort of vision of the world and you know that sort of collision of this um old testament new in a lot of ways of american history is is very evident uh in that plot line and then on the other side you have jennifer jason lee who plays dot's mother-in-law um uh who's the sort of power broker of this lion family and her fixer uh danish graves is the name of the character but it's played wonderfully by dave foley from kids in the hall who's wearing an eye patch in this and then you've got um, two police officers played by uh, Risha Morjani and Lamore Morris in a fantastic piece of character acting, I thought. Uh, they played two cops investigating what opens the episode, which is Dot's abduction. Uh, she's kidnapped in, well, in sort of the early part of the episode. Well, first she's arrested for tasing people during a fist fight that breaks out at a PTA meeting. Yes. Just sort of underline, you know, which is sort of underlines the... Late s- Trump. Late Trump, neighbor against neighbor, uh, undercurrent of the show. Yeah. Um, and again, somehow this is not. And it's 2019, so wait till we tell tell her about COVID. Get ready. <laughs> but it's you know I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like I, I thought that that whole thing was handled pretty subtly. You know, it was not lecturing, which I really appreciated. It was in service. It it, it it's almost textbook in a way that it like it kickstarts the plot. Because she is fingerprinted because of this, yeah. which then leads to the abduction, all these things things you're saying. And that's such a healthy mix. This is not a show that l- starts by lecturing us on what is going wrong in this country. The, what's going wrong in the country is happening all around yeah. the, what do you call it, Western noir? Yeah, Western noir. Because like the ham character is definitely a cowboy, but then you've got this kind of like woman on the run element mm-hmm. to it that feels very... Classic film noir. I thought that um, the decision. So essentially, the reason why I asked Andy about the Coen Brothers piece is that uh, this show and this series, or the episode, the season rather, essentially starts where Fargo, the movie, would have ended. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this woman who's been kidnapped by these two very eccentric uh, kidnappers, 
And one, one with Buscemi vibes. Basically, Noah Hawley does the Owen Wilson from Tenenbaums, where she's like, what, what this series presupposes <laughs> of what is she escaped, you know? And so she escapes or, and she... Or what if she was the alpha, Yeah, right? Right. Uh, and so she escapes and she's, she's basically like, you know, her story becomes the story of the se- season rather than the abduction mm-hmm. necessarily. The, all the sort of mystery around the abduction is sort of out, out in the open in the first episode. And, and what I'd say also is, um, this is not specific to, to Noah, who I, who I know and I've worked with, but to many creative people, which is creative guardrails are, can be amazing. Limitations can be good. And I don't mean limitations in terms of budget because this looks the show looks beautiful. Um, production values are high. Clearly, the cast is 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 very impressive, and we haven't even really talked about Juno Temple yet. And I feel like the show doesn't work without her, without mm-hmm. her in that performance. But Noah funneling his creativity into something that has that has shape already. You know the type of story it's going to be. You know that it has to have that Fargo tagline of you know this is a true story. Names have been protected. Yeah, that whole that whole bit, the accents, some of the, the tenor of some of the humor, the world that you're in, um, and then also the referencing of the outline of story. Right, that like you have the two kidnappers who, if you squint, give you Buscemi and Peter Stormare mm-hmm. vibes, um, but the Stormare. Version the Stormare character is played by British actor Sam Spruill and is fantastic. Has kind of a No Country for Old Men haircut, yes. you know, and this is all intentional. But what I mean is like that funnels. This is a seaworthy vessel for whatever ideas Noah has about the contemporary state of America, but also about filmmaking. You know, like I I feel like one of the the struggles I had with season four was, do you remember, like, there was, like, a lusciously shot 12 to 17-minute opening mm-hmm. before the credits. And it and it felt like, it felt like it was, it felt like Fargo was servicing the filmmaking as opposed to the other way around. He directed these first two episodes, and there's some great set pieces, but it, it is sharp. Yeah. And it is tight. And it is Fargo first, It's Fargo first, but I think it's very much aided by the fact that, like, Jennifer Jason Lee is doing a little bit of Hudsucker proxy and there is uh-huh. a little bit of Raising Arizona. I think that the set piece at the end of the first episode very much feels No Country for Old yeah, Men. Yeah, it does. I'm a huge fan of the Coens. They're they're among my favorite filmmakers, so it's really... I'm pretty, pretty happy to be in that world mm-hmm. and to be in that sensibility, but I thought that this... In in season four, I thought like what Noah was trying to say about the country mm. came first, mm-hmm. and in this, I yeah. feel like he's trying to tell a really good story and there will be stuff about the country that comes out of it. Yeah, and I, and I think it's we shouldn't get past that because I think we we have criticized, and I certainly have been probably pretty critical about things over the last few years that have been explicitly about the state of where we are now. Yeah, I what just it feel feels like, to mean, like what it feels like to be alive right now, like like the morning show, you know, things yeah. like that. I, that. That's an unfair comparison. They are clearly different shows with different ideas about who should go into space. But I think that like. It is very, very hard to walk that tightrope of not becoming not becoming preachy or self-referential or just pious when you need to be entertaining also. And I was really impressed about that. And I, I think, though, like, Juno Temple is such phenomenal casting because mm-hmm. she's a really talented actor. We've seen her in things. We've liked her in things. Wasn't she in vinyl? She was good in that. Uh, well, she was in Ted Lasso for the last couple of years. I mean, so she's been doing that. I not, think f- she- not familiar. <laughs> but... 
Yeah, she was in vinyl. Um, she's I mean, she works constantly. She's been in a lot of things, but it, at least as, yeah, as a non Ted Lasso watcher, she is not this fixed. This is a as great a, great part for her, I think, because it captures her almost like um, like a fire cracker and a closed fist energy. Yes. In Ted Lasso, it almost feels incongruous sometimes with the sitcom-y or soap opera elements of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, her energy is perfect for this, what's up with this woman? Mm-hmm. Kind of, you, you want to ask that constantly about Dot. So basically, she has escaped from this sheriff character played by John Hamm 10 mm-hmm. years ago. She was married to him. We don't know anything else beyond that. What we do know is that this person seems able to extract themselves from an abduction very ably, and then fend off two criminals coming after her and help a sheriff's deputy, like, in a gunfight. And basically, Home Alone's this Mm -hmm. convenience store so that she can get away. And now she's trying to basically pass this off as if she just had a breakdown one day and needed to get 10 hours to herself, even though she has shown up back at her house with bloody feet. And But do you know what I mean, though, about, like, casting? Because, like, She's. I don't. I don't carry any baggage with her, so I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." It's, she's. She's become someone, and it, and it's saying something too because the someone she's becoming is still that very broadly drawn Minnesota nice Fargo archetype. Yeah, for some reason this time around, like I think that in the bit of season three that I saw, like the Minnesota nice thing is is being very much played as a not so nice. You know, like it's like a... Oh, there's, there's a... There's a it, that's that the epigraph at yeah, the start of the show. I, 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 but like the kind of... Um, his view of 2019 Midwestern like kind of kindness is is very, I think, on point, you know, to the extent that it, for, it works within the show. Well, yeah, and I also think that it's an interesting lens through which to look at the country, which is again what the show is clearly doing, even if it's doing it subtly and well, because when the fart when when the Coens did it with the first Fargo, they are New Yorkers, but they are native. They're from Minnesota. This a serious man is kind of like their that's their world that they came from, growing up Jewish in Minnesota. And um I think it was people I think it was that movie was misunderstood as like mocking people when in fact, you know, um Marge is decent and good and patient and steady and the hero of the movie, despite all of the craziness. I think that there's something more complicated going on now because the idea of like, oh, well, the Heartland is the true American yeah, voter. Right. You know, I would say that there's some some frequent viewers of uh, Newsmax from that region who might suggest that it's it's curdled. A well, bit. And, I, and then I think the, the idea of taking someone who's like as classically good looking as Ham and casting him as this sheriff who is a classical good guy in the in mm-hmm. in most westerns and then giving him these trump light kind of qualities where it's like my will and my vision of the world mm-hmm. is i'm gonna go about like through civil forfeiture or violence or whatever i'm gonna do whatever i want the, no one not even the fbi can stop me the casting is really great ham is basically playing the the serious version of his character from kimmy schmidt um you know where he was the abducting reverend yeah He's he's in his bag in a way that is really cool to see because he, as we know, like he's a genius in Mad Men and then has been wonderful in comedy, but I think has sort of struggled to find something that allows him to do both in a way that feels natural to him. Um, he can work forever doing Top Gun-like villains, sure. and he can work forever doing favors for Tina Fey, but like this is a part that is a, 
a joke, but also deadly serious. And he is able to be both. And he's just sort of, he's a presence again, which was really nice to see. You know who else is phenomenal is your boy Joe Keery from Stranger Things. He's good. He's really good in this, yeah. He's really good as as Ham's son. Um, Who's like a vaping Mountain Dew drinking asshole with like great razor lines in his sideburns or in like the side of his head. It's, It's really... A lot of good touches with that. But that's just, it's again, it's like it's really smart casting because he's, I haven't seen that show in a minute, but he's nice in that show, right? They've made, Things. they made him, They he went from kind of like the bad boy to a little bit more Isn't of like, the, like the, the den mother of the now little kids the, now. Now he's just like basically the fan favorite, yeah. Right, and so he's playing against type in a certain way and Ham's playing against type in a certain way. And then, and then in the margins, you do really good jobs with people who are ready to do something big like, like Risha Murjani or Sam Spruill and then you take recognizable faces like Lamorne Morris and and Dave Foley, and you just you just spin them in a different direction. I do need to point out something that I didn't like. Okay, this is good. This is fair. Uh, Risha Morjani's character uh, Indira is is married to uh, Lucas Gage. Uh, Lucas Gage is an actor I love. He was in uh, and in the show. She's she's mm-hmm. uh, married to this guy. Uh, Lucas Gage was in How to Blow Up a Pipeline. He was in White Lotus. He's like a really fun actor. I really have high hopes for him. So this is nothing about his acting. I know where this is going. The setup for his character is that he is an amateur golfer who has sunk a lot of their money into his golf career and specifically a in-home golf simulator screen so that he can practice during the cold winter months in Minnesota. Because he is a aspiring pro golfer and has apparently come in second at a tournament at Hilton Head. Now, it may come to pass that this is a con or he's the whole joke is that he's not that great at golf. Mm-hmm. But if he is telling the truth and he came in second place at some tournament in Hilton Head, even if it was for like randos mm. and not the Corn Ferry Tour, which is like the minor leagues mm. of the PGA. He looks like it was the. It looked like it was the first time he had ever hit a golf ball. Wow! And it and it really it took you out of it. It took me out. I had to take a walk around the block and gather my thoughts. It's possible that it was just like we love the actor, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like the actor is like, sure, I can ride a horse. You know, <laughs> like, I thought about that with Ham. Yeah, he was up there. But it is stunning how off his swing is. Mm. The tempo is all wrong. Mm. He's not getting in the slot. You know, like he's not keeping his arms straight. Have you talked to the watch golf correspondent, Tim Simons, about this? Let's just say we exchanged some texts. I said I was going to need you to check this out. Um, I also just want to say that um, in the spirit of the movie I mentioned at the beginning, Past Lives, I just think that the arc of of our time on this planet is is fascinating and unpredictable and beautiful. And your journey from ace basketball correspondent critiquing the on-screen hoops in Mr. Robot season two to now settling into a middle age of, of golf I, commentary. I should not be a 20 handicap or 25 handicap or whatever the hell I am last time I checked and be criticizing someone who's supposed to be on the corn ferry in this, in this show. So are you going or to... whatever it is. Are you going to say here and now that you're, you're done with Fargo season five? Yeah, I'm done. Like, like <laughs> what, what could you possibly have to say about America if you can't even get your swing the thing tempo, is, is that right? What they were doing is like they were just playing these. They were playing the sound of the golf ball being hit, right? And they weren't showing the swing, right? And then I was like, "Oh, I wonder. Mm-hmm. Are they going to show it? Mm-hmm. Are they going to show it? Did is you it freeze happen? frame? Did you, yeah, yeah." And then I, did I freeze frame? I watched the scene like four times because I was like, <laughs> "Maybe it was a trick of 
maybe the auto motion was turned on. You know what did, I mean? Did you also do that when, I won't name names, but when a character improvises a tourniquet for a gunshot wound with an ice scraper and some duct tape? No, Were you that like, was, that's not that? No, that was good field work. See, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> Kaya, as a, as a uh, field medic, of some standing, were you okay? Would you be okay with that scene? Like, do you bring do you bring your own knowledge to things and your judgment of things the way that Chris just did? My knowledge in field medicine. I'm, you can go along with that bit, or I can make a more genuine question and be like, "When was the last time you left fictional entertainment because you were like, that's not the way that works about something you know?" Was it the podcasting and and, and just like that? Oh, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a good one. Where. Sarah and Jessica Parker takes down a whole uh, podcasting network because she refuses to read one, one ad. Like vaginal rejuvenation ad. Yeah. yeah. That was good. You guys had me read that. <laughs> so I don't see the problem. Um, I thought this was great. I can't wait to keep talking about it with you. Yeah. I'm, it's funny. This is, this is true of, I was about to say like this is some great observation about TV. It's not. It's actually as applicable to sports as it is anything else. It's just like when you see something work well, it makes it seem like making stuff is should be simpler. Yeah. In that, all of a sudden, I remembered something I forgot, which is the genius of Fargo as a template for an anthology series. Now, when I say that, I should also add the caveat that we've been adding for eight years, which is pulling it off is a rem- it, the first time. Yeah. Was a remarkable. And to have the second season be even better. Yeah, that's that is incredible, and it, it it's a feat of you know, of creativity, but also of structural storytelling being like, here are the pieces that make this what it is. And here are the pieces that we can change and shift and keep it to make it feel alive, not like just some sort of mausoleum tribute piece. But I guess tribute pieces are museums, not mausoleums. Usually (laughs) I have to be honest because one of my, my angriest texts yesterday was how Tony Romo doesn't know the difference between consciously and conscientiously. Yeah. You're, he was thinking, like, you're focusing on the right things. During a football I was like, game. he's like, Jalen Hurts needs they to, need to get a different color commentator. on he, This This is absolutely disgraceful. He needs to use his conscience more in deciding which of the out receivers he should be targeting before he drops his eyes. Uh, yeah, no, it just when you see it work, when you see TV work at this level, I'm like, you're like, oh, the promise of prestige TV wasn't all shareholder streaming yeah. nonsense. Yeah, yeah. It was. We can take these things and we can reju- We can take these formats and rejuvenate them with life and verve and style and casting and a point of view, something to say. And we can we can run them and we can run them not with the regularity of Magnum PI back in the day, but with some every couple years consistency. Um, yeah, it was a beautiful dream, and this was a nice. It didn't work, but, but it, it, this was a nice little nap. This was a nice throwback. To yeah, it. it really was. I'm excited to see where the season goes. So on Thursday we'll do Slow Horses in the Curse. Okay. Uh, I think. Are you looking at me? Because I just, I'm trying to give you, uh, give you the runway, you know? You, you, this is, you want to give me a, like, like an RPO? You want me to do it to check to a run? Well, I, I, I can't wait for Slow Horses to be back. I do wonder whether or not like that's a kind of show where it's just like so re- like regularly satisfying, but I don't know if there will be like a ton more to say about Slow Horses. I, I look forward to checking it out. I do worry that it's a little bit like, Chris Farley interview at this point. Like, remember that time yeah. Gary Oldman was amazing and the show was really high quality. Remember when he smoked and then Kristen Scott Thomas had an awesome dress. That was cool. Okay, Kaya, thank you for producing us. Thank you for making it back from Northern California to Southern California for this event. And to you, man, <laughs> thank you for your support of the arts, both both yeah. films mm-hmm. slightly out of the window of sure. talking about them, but also Stephen Sondheim. And I think somewhere he's he's looking down and he's saying thanks, bud. He's looking down, being like. 
who is Jack Harlow? 